0: If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today I'm introducing Judy Kilby. Judy's an all-round horse person. She's an eventing specialist coach. She's also a pony club instructor. Judy's received the Order of Australia Medal for a service to equestrian sport for her many roles within the horse industry. She's a course designer, show jumping and cross country, and she's been fairly involved with the local show and the Cattlemen's Association. How are you today, Judy?
1: Very well, thank you, Glenis. (laughs) As I said, yes, we're on quite a high because we've just run our local Westbury show, three beautiful days, and, well, nothing will take away the moment. We had my nephew from the Army playing the last post for Remembrance Day, and the whole ground were absolutely stationary. The grandstand was full, and it was just a magical moment. Wow. Wow. And also brilliant show jumping, brilliant show jumping. And okay. uh, John Wooten had come down to do the courses and the show jumping was uh, really wonderful.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. So it's good to know if the course builder's happy, the riders are happy, the judge is happy, the spectators are happy and a wonderful day. That sounds ideal, doesn't it?
1: Yes. It's something every <laughs> show society hopes, particularly in Tasmania, because we're actually starting to lose some of our top shows. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for a country show to be a success and be going from strength to strength is not the norm at the moment. Okay.
0: All right. Well, well done on that. Congratulations. Thank you. Judy, we often start off with a favourite quote. I understand you've got one that you'd like to share.
1: Well, I was reflecting on a favourite quote, and I think the one that keeps coming to my mind is one from Miss Kay Irving, the National Pony Club coach who used to come over Get the rider right and the horse will come right. And I think that that's significant in so many ways. Get the rider right. Get mm-hmm. them right in their training. Get them right in their position. Get them right in their level of expectation and get them emotionally right. And then you can expect to go somewhere. Okay. okay. I suppose as a coach myself, everybody quoted me with my favorite word, which was focus. They'd look at me and they'd say, here she comes, Focus. Focus on your goals, your self-discipline, focus at events, on the job, in hand, and be wary of distractions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As a coach, of course, yeah, we have that always, that one perfect preparation and perfect practice helps to make perfect performance. Yes. That's all in the ideal world, isn't it?
0: It's something to focus on, isn't it? And going back to the focus. Absolutely, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, Judy, you you've had quite a lot of experience in your family, so your riding doesn't start with you, does it? It starts with what your father, your grandfather how, Just go back and tell us a bit about you. Normally, we start people off and and say what are your first memories, but you might want to just talk about your parents, grandparents. You know and what they've done with horses.
1: Yes. Well, my father's family were a pioneering family. His father had ten men working for him, and they used draft horses of course to work the land and stock horses to do the stock work. So my father was one of nine children, but he was the one that was stood out as becoming a natural horseman and he broke and trained the horses and worked with the horses. He progressed from there onto the show yard the show ring circuit and then when the hunt club was formed in nineteen fifty two he became first hunt master of the hunt club for six years. Um, was involved in rodeos, so I was the youngest of three children so we just grew up in a household of horses and from the time we could virtually sit on a horse we were sat on a horse and we basically stayed on a horse and uh, I'm still on a horse (laughs) so um, that was our virtual upbringing. He used to buy and sell horses and as children, we were—was our job to help get get them go, get them going. I remember there was one pony called it, and we called it no go because there's no way it just was not going to go. But we had a stockyard, and my memories of getting these horses going in muddy stockyards and turning them into something worthwhile, and often selling them on, or if they were really good, we'd keep them for ourselves. And then it was a natural progression in Tasmania, and I feel as though I'm sort of living history because in 1952, the first pony club was formed. So our family were first members of the pony club. Then in the 1970s, the Joe Jumping Association was formed and the Eventing Association. So I was on the steering committee of both those. Then in the 80s was the formation of the Tasmanian Mountain Catamans Association, partly formed through land that I owned to give the high country people a voice. So I was the first president of that. And uh, then we went on to, of course, in about 85, the NCAS came on board. Um, so I became involved with the first courses run by EA, training NCAS coaches. And it has just been a continuation from there.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm in particularly interested in the formation of the Cattlemen's Association and also the annual event that they have. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But first of all, um, just about the coaching, you know, you do a bit of coaching now. I'd like to talk about something that you see often, and we've talked a bit about, you know, getting the rider right and the horse will come right, but maybe something if you were going to go out to do a clinic or a school with a new club that you hadn't been to before, what sort of problems do you think you'd come across um, from past experience and what would you tell the riders
1: uh, yes, it's sort of a dual question because the quality of the coaching I think is really important. I guess I'm lucky in that I was trained as a school teacher, and so many of the skills we need as a riding coach are enhanced by that background. Both my daughters are horse riding coaches, and I consider them very good coaches because they also are trained school teachers. So I think. The coaches that we're putting through now, speaking as a coach educator, I think that there are quite a few things there that I think they need to keep themselves updated and possibly be mentored a little bit. But for them, when they go out as coaches, I think one of the most important things is not to overface horses and riders. I see that often a great deal and then the riders and the horses are set back by being overfaced but so be fair in their expectation and make sure that the foundation work is done and to build on that to take the take the riders up through a, a gradual progression of expectation and to development do
0: you think that comes from coaches in having a bit more knowledge because i've seen it you know oh, you know how to walk and trot next thing is to canter instead of You might know how to walk and trot. We'll learn a bit more about turning and guiding and controlling and lengthening. You know, like there's lots of other exercises you can do before you canter. So do you think with the coach's knowledge, if they've got more depth of knowledge, they're less likely to and and more attention to detail, they're less likely to overface?
1: I think so, yes. I think it it comes from experience. Mm -hmm. As a teacher, the headmaster once said to me, after you've had children, you come back as a teacher, you'll be a far better teacher. <laughs> and, and I think that that was, that was fairly right. Mm-hmm. But two years ago, three years ago, my daughter, another young coach and myself attended, one of George Morris's coaching clinics in Sydney, three days. And yep. to observe that man work with absolute beginner riders right through to the different standards, finishing up with Chris Jugg and Vicky Roycroft in his top group, to see how he coped with the expectation from the beginner rider level right up to the top and how he was able to use his expertise to really extend each level of rider was quite amazing. The one thing that really hit home was his expectation, no matter what level, his expectation of levels. And there's one thing I keep on looking now, you have a twist in your rein. Your rein is twisted. No, it's just a half a twist. But I'd never picked that up with any other coach. But there is a twist in the rein. The Australian riders, they are always ride with a twisted rein. The way that the foot is in the stirrup. And um, yes, just to really consolidate and have an le- expectation of excellence no matter what level. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Now, you said that coming in as a coach, you've been a trained teacher. There's some people who are better coaches than others. And you said about George and the attention to detail. So attention to detail, what else does a a coach need? And I'm talking about one starting off or further down the track. So attention to detail, any other skills that, that you think make coaches exceptional?
1: They have to develop an eye. Our young coaches out there have to develop an eye. There's a bit of an idea out there that once you get your certificate, you know it all. But you have to grab every opportunity. And as a a course designer, as a show course designer or as a coach, if you have somebody with expertise, seize the moment and go out and work with them and watch what is happening and listen to what they're saying. Just use every opportunity because... As a coach, the very good coaches have got a very good eye for what is happening. We have a very good show jumping coach in Tasmania, Nikki Brown. If I'm riding, that's wonderful. You're able to get the feedback. If I'm not riding in between lessons, you go and stand and you listen and you watch and you watch what she's saying to the other riders so you develop your eye. It's hard to... Progress riders unless you can really see the picture of what is happening, what is happening with the rider and what's happening with the horse and the same with course designing you've got a good coach go out and walk the courses, stand with the coach, help them do things and and learn learn why they place fences in jump off courses, jump off courses it's so important I think to have a challenging but yet a flowing but a course is going to favor that rider that's got the nippy horse and the skill to go inside a jump. But some of our jump-off courses, they're not clever. They're not clever. And I think that particularly in Tasmania, because we don't build as much as some of the top – I think it happens on the mainland too. But if you're not building well, please go and stand with the good builders and you know, keep on trying to develop yourself.
0: When you talk about standing with the coaches and the course builders, I think that comes back to the focus, doesn't it? If you're at a competition, you've done your jump off or you're not riding in that class or something, but you're still focused on becoming a good coach or becoming a good course builder. If you're focused on it, you will talk to the coach, stand with them, watch them and be focused on what they're doing. So it does, it comes back to that focus that you talked about
1: earlier. It does. And also with the riders, it comes back to their focus. If they're in a jump off, and I know our legend of show jumping, Jeff Richards, no longer riding, but I often quote him if there's a jump off on, Jeff would always he'd, he'd hope that he'd draw last, but he would watch every horse that went prior to him, and then he knew what he had to beat. Mm-hmm. But you look around now, and they might be seventh to go in the jump off, and they're not watching to see what the previous horse has done. So, yes, it's all about focus. It's a great word.
0: Mm, mm. All right. Now, you've talked about George Morris, Nikki Brown, Jeff Richards. Who's some other people who've just influenced you and helped you learn more about horses?
1: Well, of course, I mentioned my father, and nobody can take away the impact that he had on my life and my horse riding career. We then, um, as well as a young rider, we became involved with Pony Club as a rider from, I guess, the age, probably six or eight when you're first allowed to join. But we had an amazing lady at the helm of the Pony Club as chief coach, and that was Anne Graves. Three young ladies had come out from England as grooms and had gone through the British system. So she became our chief coach pretty well right through while I was in Pony Club and in those days we finished when we were 21. She was a beautiful rider. She was a strict disciplinarian. She was a pedantic coach, pedantic in every aspect, but was always very consistent and structured. So she had a huge influence on me in those younger days. We had a Tasmanian team who went to the Inter-Pacific Pony Club trials when I was 14. That was in Mornington. And she was a coach and I can still remember Oh, all the long track work that we did with our horses. <laughs> Anyhow, she's had a great influence. And then as we got through the pony club thing, Franz Moringa, I've been influenced by national coaches. We would have coaches come from the mainland to Tasmania. So in the early days, Franz Moringa left a great impression. And I often refer to his book, Horses Are Made to be Horses. <laughs> then in the a pony club coaching, we had some very good national coaches who came over and they would go round, go to the south, the north or the northwest of our state. The one who stands out is Zoe Harrison. She was a brilliant coach and a lovely person. Nadine Merriweather came over from the west and later Sue Chandler, just to mention some that come to my mind. Then when the NCAS started happening in the 1980s, Paul Berman was, I remember, as the first person who came over, ran a clinic and then assessed us at the level he felt that we should be. And I was actually, I was proud for him to single. It. He said, Judy, you're verging on a level two general specialist eventing. So I think I had to go to one more clinic, which was probably, I think, conducted by Mary Longden. And I still remember quite a bit of the work we did with those people. Uh, more recently, um, I've mentioned George Morris and hand in hand with George Morris goes David Quick. David Quick teaches on the same lines and he has been coming to Tasmania for many years as a jumping equitation expert. And also I have some exposure with him because he coaches and mentors my daughter in Victoria and I feel he's a very fine and excellent coach. And more recently, Steve Brady, who's a little bit off the... From a little different area, but Steve Brady has been has been coming to Tasmania, running clinics once a year, three-day clinics. My current horse, I've attended to four of those clinics, and he works on a combination of classical horsemanship and natural horsemanship. And he takes your, you through the groundwork and then onto your horses. And I have recommended to a lot of people go to Steve Brady. But sadly he's not coming to Tasmania anymore. He's retired from coming to Tasmania. And now at the level where I am now, well I guess my two daughters, they're the ones who crack the whip and keep me going. <laughs> okay. And I look at them and I think, My word, you're doing a good job. So keep it up. <laughs>
0: okay. And and what about horses? Have been horses who've influenced you?
1: Well, I've had a lifetime of different horses.
0: I'm sure. <laughs> you probably can't remember them all, but you know, there might be some standouts that you can remember.
1: Well, there are horses that stand out, and I'd have to mention the first horse that my father had that was the reason for him becoming involved with the show ring a horse called Conrad. I have a picture of myself on that horse at the local Westbury show at four years of age, riding unassisted. Mm -hmm. My sister did exhibitions, riding around over the open fences as an eight-year-old wearing a velvet cap on that 16-hand horse. My mother learned to ride on him. My father would take him. He would win a camp draft competition, a point-to-point competition, and then go and win champion hunter. (laughs) And then he went into uh, Olympic show jumping when it was introduced in Tasmania in the 1950s. So that horse stands out. I had a very good pony that I took over from my brother, Silver King, that was an excellent show jumper and a venting pony. A wonderful horse, Klein Vale, a thoroughbred that my father and the syndicate would race. They would hunt him. We would show jump him and then he would go and win champion hack. He was an amazing and a beautiful horse. I've had a series of of show jumpers and eventers. None of them particularly brilliant. One of the better ones a horse called Theme that George Sanner took on my behalf to uh, Victoria and jumped at Melbourne Show. Sold him over there. And further to that, I guess the current horse. Everybody tells me he's the best horse I've ever had. He's an average horse in ability, but his temperament is amazing. So I can have a lot of fun show jumping, eventing him. Droving cattle, leading grandchildren. He's a a Frisian Pinto cross, a ten year old, and he's um, has a lovely presence, black and white, and he has a fan club bigger than Elvis Presley. So he's <laughs> a great horse.
0: Okay, okay. Now, with all the horses and all the experience and everything you've done, what's your proudest moment?
1: Oh, I suppose it was a very humbling and very proud moment to receive an OAM, and I was completely gobsmacked and I thought, well, this is just not me. And I said to my husband, you don't have to accept it. I said, I just don't know about this. And my husband said, uh, well, there would be no way that you happen to deserved this just make sure your facts are all right if they ask for the history of what you've done. Prior to that it was the Australian Sports Award in 2000 and I've been very proud when I've been awarded the various life memberships of the different organisations. But further to that I'm extremely proud when I look out at young coaches who are doing a brilliant job and they are riders who have come up through Pony Club when I've been there as a chief coach i put them through their coaching accreditation and when I was at the helm of running, we ran courses to produce our coaches, structured courses, and I felt that all the areas were covered and we did it as a group. I'd have six or eight going through doing their coaching course. We'd take six or 12 months to do it. And they are now out there coaching and officiating in the various disciplines. The coaching's done differently now. It's more sort of a one-on-one and mentoring, and mm-hmm. it just seems to be more getting signatures on lessons. And I feel that by the way we did it, running every aspect of the coach through, through a course, we the, the coaches came out very, very well qualified for what they were doing. So, and now, of course, I'm extremely proud I have four grandchildren riding and achieving doing well and enjoying the horses. So it's very proud to see them following in the footsteps, I suppose. And beating me. Beating me. <laughs> I my goal was to beat the grandkids, but I'm afraid they're rounding they're rounding me up. We're rounding <laughs> you up, Nana.
0: It's <laughs> good, isn't it? Yeah. Judy, the Order of Australia Medal for Service to Equestrian Sports, the OAM, you've done a lot of service to equestrian sports, but What specifically was the medal for and do you know who nominated you?
1: Yes, I do know who nominated me, John Hammond, who lives on the northwest coast and is involved with grazing cattle, Wagyu cattle, and the cattle droves from the mainland to Robbins Island are often highlighted on things like Landline, it's amazing cattle drive. John Hammond has followed the progress of the Cattlemen's Association as a supporter, and he was aware that I was the first president, and he's still aware that Judy is still there on your horse and is still there doing the course thirty years later. He knew that I had an involvement in other equestrian things, but he was not quite. Didn't, there had to be research done in that, so he nominated another lady who had been secretary of our Cattlemen's Association for many years, Sandra Barczyk, who had to do the research. So then. Her research led her to my involvement with the Northern Hunt Club, of which in the early days I was secretary, the Eventing Association, of which I'm now a life member and have had many years as a cross-country course designer and TD, plus a rider, the Surrey Dumping Association, of which I was a founding member and have contributed as a course designer and a rider in a supportive role, the Pony Club Association as a rider, then 20 years as Chief Instructor DC, so it goes on and still involved in Mm -hmm. as a supportive role. The Westley Show, of which my husband and I are life members, a lifetime involved with that, 20 years as Secretary of the Horse Committee, and EA, a life member of EA. I remember getting a speeding fine going into an EA meeting one Sunday only to find that I was the first one there. (laughs) That didn't go down too well. They were hard days going to, giving up your weekends, not only to perhaps coach and do that sort of thing, but the jolly chief instructors meeting for Pony Club or the EA meeting. So when the year, a few years ago, was sort of the accreditation of all officials, I thought, Judy, you have to take a few hats off, which I did. I took took hats off. Mm -hmm. But yes, I guess just a recognition of a lifetime involvement with sport, which you don't do it for accolades. Mm -hmm. And now I wonder when, how I did do it, particularly in the 80s, because with the formation of the Cattlemen's Association, suddenly we found out that my land was involved in being nominated for World Heritage Listing. It's privately owned, freehold land, and I was advised, well, if it goes into World Heritage, you really won't have any say whether you may or may not graze cattle. The senator of the time, the federal minister of the day, can say what may or may not happen. So suddenly I turned into a politician and we had launched a nationwide campaign and we found ourselves taking television crews up to Lees Paddocks. So I found myself speaking to the town hall in Hobart as well as running Pony Club and as well as doing all the other things. So that was a busy time.
0: <laughs> Hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website, again, is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. All right. Now, the, the Cattlemen's Association, the annual event. Can you tell me a bit about that?
1: Uh, well, since 1988, we've run a Tasmanian Cattlemen's Get-Together. Mm-hmm our cattlemen's association and our I guess our get-togethers are designed on those who that are held in Victoria mm-hmm. where we have the Victorian Mountain Cattlemen's Association and they too lord had they've had nationwide campaigns trying to maintain grazing rights in the high country so as part of Australia's bicentennial celebration in 88 we ran a cattle drive and a cattlemen's get-together it was an amazing event and it has continued on as so a cattlemans get-together every year since. So we find a property, ideally in the high country, ideally that's been tied up with cattle grazing. We head up to the mountains and all the followers, we have up to 2,000 people who come and they camp. And one day we have a day of competition, all sorts of events, and the next day we have trail rides.
0: Yeah, I'm interested to hear about the competition, I think. I've heard a bit about it, but it sounds good. How the What are the rules? How does the competition run?
1: There are several competitions, but the main competition is the Tasmanian Mountain Catamans Championship. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess, my experience a bit of as an eventing person came in there because we chose to have three phases. The first phase is the handy stock horse. So the horse is put through traditional cattleman skills, crossing a bridge, cracking a whip, hobbling, picking up a calf, all those skills, and they're awarded points, as they would in the dressage competition. Then they have the cattle handling that's run a little bit like a simulated camp draft. Once again, the rider gets points. Mm -hmm. Then they have the stock horse race, and my job is to design the course, a challenging course that will um, pick out really the best horse rider combination. The fences are not huge, but my job is to keep it safe, make it challenging and to slow them down. Mm-hmm. So we have a few things within the race. They have to stop or run, pick up a calf, get on and ride with a calf in their hand, then stop with the calf down. A few things like that as well as cross the ditches and negotiate the fences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the main competition at the uh, get-together. But of course there's lots of whip cracking and other stock horse races and mm-hmm. mountain teams relays with four in the event. So it's a great a great day, lots of fun.
0: In the stock horse race itself, four riders go at the same time. Is that right?
1: We have heats, up to six riders in each heat, and they are timed. In the stock horse races, each horse is timed so you don't have to have a runoff. Yep. You've got their times, but you put them in heats of uh, usually no more than six.
0: Okay, good, good. Judy, have you got a book that you can recommend for our listeners?
1: I think Franz Moringa's book. Horses are made to be horses. Okay. I think that that book is a, a must for all horse riders to to have on their shelves. Horses are not machines, and we train horses knowing that they're a herd animal, that they have a pecking order, and I think Franz Moringa spells it out beautifully.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Now, going ahead, and I know you're talking about Ollie, and he's the horse you've got now. What else are you planning, or are you are planning on continuing to do with Ollie? So what do you you plan to do in the future?
1: Well, unfortunately, my most recent goal was taken from me when uh, Ollie and I were shifting some sheep and we were cantering along trying to get a couple of lambs through the gate and they went bang into the fence. He went whop onto his side and speared me out the side door breaking my shoulder. So I had to forego the Masters Games and put on my apprentice, my daughter, Josephine, who rode him with success for gold at the Masters Games. Oh, good. That was a lot of fun. Well done. And she's enjoyed campaigning him. Mm. I'd just come back from Mongolia riding horses for 19 days up there and there are lots of little squirrel burrows and I thought, you want to be careful, this pony's going to put, a, put in a squirrel <laughs> hole and you'll go splat like a rat. But uh, it didn't happen, but it happened when I got home. <laughs> So as far as my, I haven't uh, established any major goals for achievements because I've done very well on Ollie, and I feel that you know I'm sort of no longer aspiring to those unrealistic goals we have as kids, right? badminton and that sort of thing. So I guess my goal is to get back on the horse whether my daughter finishes his current season and I start afresh next year. <laughs> But I just really enjoy keeping out there, competing, keeping involvement, continuing to support. Once I was sort of at the helm of coach education, now my daughter is. We live nearby, so we support each other. As coach educators, you need two people to put people through. My daughter and I run the Jumping Equitation Clinic in Tasmania every two years. We've got David Quick coming over in August, so I look forward to doing that. I still very much enjoy course designing, I continue to do that. My immediate goal is to keep my horse extended in show jumping, eventing, and, and keep riding for as long as possible.
0: That sounds like some pretty good goals there. Judy, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today? So just talking about giving the listeners something that they can take away from that they'll be thinking about from this interview. Well, I think
1: I consider that the most important thing as a trainer, as an owner of horses, and that we can instill in our young riders is to take everything one step at a time. I see too many horses ruined by being overfaced, by the riders expecting they will get a horse, they might do a few hunts on it, and they'll take it to a show jumping event with no preparation. I just think that it's really important to lay the foundation stones and to build on them. And I think it's just wonderful to see somebody get a young horse to bring it through gradually and then for it to continue on as a good horse for many years because the foundation work has been done. So buying a horse is a bit like buying a plant or a pup. That's the easiest part. It's the looking after and the training thereafter that is the difficult part. So my message to all riders is to take it one step at a time to keep building on that and then you can have an expectation of a, a very long and happy career with your horse. One other thing that I think I, it should have been pointed out to me, but we grew up, you had a horse, you had to make it into something really worthwhile. And I think often we got stuck with bad horses for too long. Deep Brady. His advice was, Judy, if you're concerned that this horse is not going to make it, give it a time frame. Give yourself six months. If you're not where you want to be in six months, get rid of it. Start again. Get something else. And I think that it's a bit like a dog. If you're going to feed a dog, feed a good one. So don't get stuck with a bad horse.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, Judy, how can people contact you?
1: Well, I have an email address. And I have my mobile phone number, which my phone lives with me all the time. So my mobile number is 0439-334-663. And my email address is lowercase pine, P-I-N-E, lodge, numeral one, at bigpond.com.
0: Thanks, Judy. And those contact details will be on your page on the Horse Chats website, which will be horsechats.com slash Judy Kilby. Judy Fantastic talking to you today. I'm sure that you've given people an insight into the Cattleman's Championships, the High Country, but also too, you know, your long service—not just in one area of equestrian sports, but just helping all over the place. You know, what like you're you're involved in lots of different areas, uh, and I think that's a great thing that you're really going into it for the love of the horse and not for any other reasons. And the, you know, the, the one step at a time and the laying the foundation stones, I think that'll be something great for people to take away as well. So thanks very much for talking today.
1: Thank you, Glyph.
0: Bye. 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 If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe.